Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. Our scripture this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that, while we, were still, we still were seen sinners, Christ died for us. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today is the third and last sermon in our series on That's Not in the Bible. Uh, We've been looking at these statements that we think have kind of a biblical foundation, but then when we actually look at it, they don't. Now, I don't want anyone to feel bad, but it's pretty common to get our biblical knowledge mixed up. I mean, Jay Leno made a fortune on this. Let's uh, see the Tonight Show. What were Jesus' parents' names? Uh, Mary and Joseph. Very good. Yes, very good. Very one. good. And approximately how many years ago did he live? Oh, gosh. 250 million years ago. Okay, how many wise men were there? Um, 12. Right, what did they bring Jesus' as gifts? They brought him some wine. Who found the burning bush? Uh, Nixon? Nixon? What happened in the fight between David and Goliath? The story. They got in a fight with rocks. Who won? Goliath. Who was swallowed by the whale? Okay, now I'm on the spot. Um, Joe. DiMaggio. Cain and. Abel. Who were they? Uh, Sitcom. The Old Testament was originally written in what language? (laughs) Um, isn't it Old English? Old English. Or Latin or something? How many apostles were there? Um, 40. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his apostles to eat and drink. The check was enormous. Adrian finished this line from the Bible. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's... Car... bad company, right? (laughs) Jay Leno uh, also had a segment, and Linda and I both looked far and wide to find it, where he asked people what the Ten Commandments were, and one by one they would share. And more often than not, they said, God helps those who help themselves. Now, of course, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. We can't even find it in the Bible. 
the Barna Research Group uh, put out a poll that said that better than 8 in 10 Americans think that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is found in the Bible. And Adam Hamilton reports that more than half of the respondents were strongly convinced that this is one of the major messages of Scripture. Now, where did this notion actually come from if it's not in the Bible? It actually originates back to Greek mythology, and then Ben Franklin was the one who really kind of brought it into our vernacular. Um, he, he uh, in his Poor Richard's Almanac, um, wrote, Let us hearken good advice, and something may be done for us. God helps those who help themselves, as Poor Richard says in the Almanac of 1733. Now, interestingly enough, Benjamin Franklin was not even a Christian. He was a deist. Deists believe that God set the world in motion and then is hands-off, standing from a distance. So it's a little bit ironic that he, in his uh, deism, gave us this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And it's also frustrating because a real examination of the Bible just says the opposite. James 1, 27 says, True devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their difficulties. Matthew 25, 40, And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, family you did it to me. Luke 10, 36, which of the, these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Galatians 5, 6, Paul says that we are saved by the kind of faith that moves our hearts to action, faith working through love. And finally, Proverbs 22, 9, happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. Jesus' teachings are constantly calling his people to show mercy and love, and yet somehow, eight out of ten people believe God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe it's a way for us to justify an inability to help everyone. Maybe it just supports the cultural idea that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, or maybe it supports that each person for themselves idea. Maybe it's an excuse to allow ourselves to be more focused on our own needs. The problem is, it's really a statement of judgment that allows complacency on the part of the one who says it. Hamilton said, first the phrase is sometimes used as a way of avoiding our obligations as Christians to help others, of doing our part to love our neighbors. The fact is, some people truly cannot help themselves, and for many others who find themselves trapped in poverty or struggling financially, self-help often isn't nearly so simple as summoning the will and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. You see, in our naivete, we think it's easy but the reality is that poverty is a cycle that's not easy to break. We learned about it in our Bridges Out of Poverty class a few years ago. Um, 
people who work hard, but if they don't have a home or a mode of transportation or childcare, it's hard. And if they receive welfare benefits, but then have a more than minimum wage job, their welfare benefits decrease and they can't make their ends meet, even though they're trying hard to get ahead. As their, as their pay goes up, their benefits decrease and they're not able to meet their needs. The reality is there are many living in poverty who can't help themselves, those struggling with mental illness or paralyzed by grief, those trying to hold every piece of life together, those born into poverty, children. I was born by the river in a little tent. And oh, just like that river, I've been running ever since. What was supposed to be our room had like a dead lizard skeleton in there and we were sleeping on the floor you know there were always like gnats around the bananas that we had and in the backyard the, the grass was like really high it's been a long a long time coming but i know uh, a change gonna come we couldn't afford the house that we were living in with before dad left anymore so I think the bank took the house, and so we had to move, and then we moved again. I think in the course of four years, four or five years, we moved in like seven different houses or something, something crazy like that. When my dad left, he we were struggling a lot because my mom is disabled, and she can't get a job to help to pay for the bills, get food. I lost a lot of weight. I... I remember I, I used to be a size five, and I went from a size five to a size zero. So, you know, I try to not eat too much. I try to eat in school. There was nights where we didn't have anything to put in our stomachs. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. I remember sitting at the gas station. She's putting like 50 cents in the gas tank. And I'm like, I'm like, I see other people. They're putting $20 in. Like, why are you doing that, mom? And I asked her one day, I'm like, why do you put so little in? She's like, I don't have money to get to work. She worked four jobs. There were days where like I hardly saw her at all just because she was working so much and she was always tired. And like, it was really difficult to make ends meet. When you're homeless, you, you don't have too much to call your own. So, you know, food is a... When you don't have money, you don't have clothing, you know, food is definitely a, a necessity or a concern. Um, you know, even still to this day, we have, uh, you know, troubles with food. The first couple of months at the shelter, uh, I felt like I was losing myself. Um, my grades dwindled, uh, my spirit died. And I didn't really want to do much. You know, when you're kids, you kind of, like, want all these things. And when you don't have the money, you kind of, you know, you're kind of sad. You're like, I kind of want it, but I can't have it. It was just kind of, like, chaotic. And it just very, I don't know, didn't make you feel very, like, secure about anything. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know... A change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. 
How do you hear that and say God helps those who help themselves? The reality is we don't know the situations that cause poverty. We all do our best. Sometimes people face challenges that they can't overcome on their own, but we as Christians are called to help. In Leviticus 23, 22, God says, "When when you harvest your land's produce, you must not harvest all the way to the edge of your field and don't gather every remaining bit of harvest. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord, your God. God commanded the farmers to leave some for the poor. Um, When I was serving in Britain, Michigan, which is in Lenawee County, about 10 miles west of uh, 23, you know where the Cabela's exit is as you go down, you'd blink. If you blink, you'd miss it. It's a small uh, farming community. And I remember hearing stories about how during the Depression, um, families, Britain's along the, ra- uh, along the railroad, and families would uh, make their dinner, but they would always make an extra plate. And they would leave that plate on the book, on the back, um, on their stoop outside of their back door, so that anyone who was catching a ride on the train who was homeless, as they got off and looked around, they could find food. Every time they did that, the food was gone but it left an impression on them, and they recognized the need. One way that we're choosing to care for children in our community is our relationship with Wood Creek Elementary School. I've shared before that they are 50, over 50% are on free and reduced lunches there, and, um, and so we've been trying to develop a relationship so that we can help. And through a generous donation that was given to support Wood Creek and our relationship there, we um, were able to give water bottles to every child um, because when you can't afford lunch, you can't afford a water bottle. And so by giving them to every child there, not a, only a few are, you know, selected out. Everyone got one that says Wood Creek Elementary School on it. During the book fair, when you want to go and buy a book, if you don't have money for lunch, you can't buy a book. And so we were able to give $5 to every child who's on the free or reduced lunch program so that they could buy a book at the book fair. In November, we collected snacks for them because if you can't afford lunch, you can't afford to bring in a snack. And so kids now have snacks. And on March 27th, uh, Friday, it's the Friday before spring break starts for Farmington Hills, we're doing a day called You Fit there. And we, as a congregation, we're going to need lots and lots of volunteers, are going to go into the school and we're going to do a Night of a Thousand Blessings kind of event with them, where we'll, uh, they'll all, where they're going to make agape bags, they're going to make toys for, um, for d- the seeing-eye dogs. Um, in fact, we need T-shirts. If you have old T-shirts, please bring them in, because we need them for those toys. Um, we're going to, they're going to make... Um, pack bags for NOAA project. They're going to do all kinds of stuff, and we're going to also, half of the day then is also going to be team building and um, finding ways to help these kids to feel like they matter because when you don't have money for lunch, you don't always feel like you're valued or like you matter. And we can show them otherwise. And so I hope that you will be a part of that day. You can be part of half of a day or you can be part of the full day, but it's going to be a great day. And we're going to show those kids that they are important and that they can make a difference in the world and that they're loved. 
You know, there's lots of ways for us to help. We're about to enter into our spring season where we get to start recruiting and, and uh, asking money for money for the crop walk. And, you know, we have a reputation of being the highest producing, highest money raising funding for the crop walk. Um, and so we'll be doing that. Rebuilding Together is coming up. And of course, our mission giving box, you all amaze me every week. It's fuller and fuller, and now it's just busting out of the box. Toilet paper for everyone, right? So we'll be bringing that to Farmington Cares this week. You see, God calls us to love our neighbors, and suggesting that God helps those who help themselves isn't loving them. But there is a kernel of truth in that statement. I believe that prayer and action work together. I can sit and pray, God, give me an A on this test and then not study. Or I can pray, God, please heal me of this cold and then not go to the doctor. I don't expect that God will just do it or fix it. Because prayer and action go hand in hand. I'm going to pray for an A, but I'm also going to study. And I'm going to pray to be well, and I'm also going to go to the doctor and get some medicine because God works through people. God answers prayers through the people that God has placed in our lives. So sometimes we might be, we might be the answer to someone's prayer. We might be the one who can help them find hope or healing or food for their table. We just have to be open to God's spirit moving, to pray and to act and to see what it is that God will do through us and through those around us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.